available to all of us, he says. Now, last Sunday morning, we tied this in with James chapter 3, verse 17. So flip over there for a minute and look at that verse. Because if we're going to ask for wisdom, we ought to know what we're asking for. I say that all the time in regards to spiritual development. Jesus gave the disciples a challenge. Go out and make disciples. Well, you ought to know what one looks like if you're going to make one, right? And so he expounds on that all the way through the New Testament. He said, I, I want you, to, if, you're, if you're going through tough times and you're going to all go through them, you ought to seek God's face, seek some wisdom. But you need to know what wisdom looks like, verse, three, or verse 17 of chapter 3. The wisdom that comes from heaven, the one you're asking for, is first of all pure, it's peace-loving, it is considerate, it's submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Father, may you, during these moments together this morning, glorify your word, speak clearly to us, help us to understand what it is that you want to say to us based on this powerful section of scripture, and not just what you want to say to us generically or generally, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to teach me? What do I need to know based on what it is that you say? And help us then to apply it in the name of Jesus. Last Sunday morning, I said to you some statements all the way at the beginning. I want to remind you of them again because I think they're absolutely powerful in regards to this particular section of Scripture. Because in this context, I said to you that wisdom is not about more information. We sometimes think it is. If I can just get more information, I'll be able to make good decisions. It's not about getting more information, but being a better person. Now, there's nothing wrong with intellectual capacity or growing in that. But I don't believe when James talks to us about wisdom here this morning or getting more of it, he's talking about intellectual capacity. But he's talking about depth, who I am inside. Nothing wrong with developing an intellectual capacity. You ought to be a lifelong learner. Not stop anywhere along the way. We've got Jim out here from the family bookstore every other week. And there's resources out there and books and, and learning tools. You ought to always be a lifelong learner. Nothing wrong with that at all. I just really believe that James is talking not so much about the mind here, but the heart and the soul. You see, we've often seen wisdom as the ability to make good decisions, which is partly true, but I really believe that great decisions are not necessarily made with the mind, but with the heart and soul of an individual. From a well-ordered heart, then, comes a well-ordered life. Great wisdom, I believe, is more about character than intellect. Godly biblical wisdom that I need to have in life to get through life is the very life and character of God at work in me so that I will choose well and then live wisely. So that I won't look back over my life and say, wow, should have thought through that more. I, I shouldn't have done that. I, I, I chose this decision or I made this decision and I'm still paying the price for it. Godly wisdom is being infused with the character of God so that it absolutely captures me. And then out of that capacity, out of who I am and my connectivity with God, I make the right decisions about all the circumstances of my life. I love Eugene Peterson, and I read it to you last Sunday morning, who said that most people think the Bible is mostly about getting people into heaven, which obviously it is, but not most of the Bible. It mostly has to do with life. Living life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, not just eternal life, but I've come to give you life and the opportunity to live it to the fullest. Whether it's 20 years or 100 years on this planet, Jesus said, if you embrace me and allow me to so saturate your life with my presence, I will give you the opportunity to live your life to the fullest. 
Even when you go through difficult circumstances, inside you will sense that you're living your life to the fullest in a way that you know God wants you to do. Peterson goes on to say that wisdom virtually has nothing to do with information or knowledge as such. A college degree is no certification of wisdom. How many of you have been around college boy and have found that true? Those of you, and I, I know, I want to be careful, with it, but I know some of you who've worked in situations where you've been doing it for 30 years and all of a sudden college boy comes in and he now has all the answers, right? You ever been there? And you've been, nothing wrong with college. I, I, I earned all my degrees and went through it the right way, but I'm telling you, sometimes we walk in thinking, I got my degree, now I know all the answers. And you're going, dude, no you don't. You need a lot of learning about life. And then maybe we'll be able to put those two together. I don't mean you put them down at all. I, again, I, I love education. But it's not about a certification or a degree. Wisdom has to do with becoming skillful in the practical things of life. Like loving your spouse. Like raising your children well, as I talked to them about this morning. How to handle money well. How to treat people right. How to take care of what God has given you physically and emotionally. How to do your business well. Threaded through all of these issues of life is where practical wisdom needs to be lived out. Wisdom demands that the way we think about and respond to God is the most practical thing I do. If James 3.17 is right, which defines wisdom, and it is, then wisdom is defined by things that only come from rightly knowing and responding to God. It's not compartmentalizing our life so that I have my social life and my work life and my family life and my spiritual life. Dallas Willard in his book on spiritual disciplines makes this statement that I read to you last Sunday morning. God's not interested in your spiritual life. He's interested in your life because it all goes together. My relationship with God has to affect how I treat my spouse, how I love my kids, how I treat my friends, how I do business, how I handle money. If I'm rightly connected with God, and I rightly understand His Word, and I'm saturated with Christ, then I will be able to look at my life and all the decisions that are in front of me and make wise decisions. Should I drink on Saturday night? Should I drink excessively? Should I go to the bar and hang out on a regular basis? If I indeed have God saturating my life, then the Word of God will come into my mind and it will say what? My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to destroy it with alcohol. I don't want to destroy it with other things. Now we sometimes pick on alcohol or smoking cigarettes. If indeed I am rightly connected with God, and I'm in a situation where I have to determine if I'm going to overeat, what am I going to say? My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to treat it well. I want to treat it wisely. It's not just those things that we always know that you should not do as a Christian, and we point those out, it's really being able to take care of what God has entrusted into our hands. It will make me determine what I do on the weekend. It will make me determine who I hang out with. It will make me make solid decisions on whether or not I spend my, my time with this group of people or this group of people. This group of people is going to push me in a wrong direction. This group of people will point me in the right direction. So godly wisdom says this is who I'll associate with. If I'm rightly connected with God, my work life will be affected by that. I'll treat the people I work with and for differently. I won't put my boss down, even if he is college boy. Because I know that I'm, I'm living of a living testimony of God in this work environment. 
And it's not just my spiritual life on Sunday so I look religious, but it's how I treat the people that I work with on Tuesday. Either work with or for. Peter talks about it all over the book of Peter when he talks about how we ought to treat those people that work for us. If I'm really connected rightly with God, then I'll use my resources well. God has entrusted into our hands, Walter Hansen from Fuller Theological Seminary, said God has entrusted into the hands of the North American church enough resources to fix every single problem in the third world. All of them. So if I'm rightly connected with God and I recognize what he has placed in my hands, then I will rightly use the resources that he has given me. Wisdom affects every single area of my life. It's not just how I act on Sunday or respond on Sunday or praise God on Sunday. I've seen people lift up their hands and sing great songs and then do some of the stupidest things on Tuesday. Wisdom, godly wisdom, affects every single area of my life. Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of, the beginning of wisdom. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. And when that happens, you'll begin to notice that your relationship with God affects all of your life, not just your Sunday experience. Spiritual growth can be determined by asking yourself some questions. Am I, because of being time, spending time in the Word, reading my Bible, praying, spending time in a small group or a Sunday school class, am I, because of those things, easier to live with? Am I finding that I'm becoming more and more patient, more full of mercy, more full of kindness and grace in every single area of my life. Not about rearranging your schedule, it's about rearranging your life. It's about rearranging your heart. And when that happens, when I am so fully committed to God, and I'm allowing Him to saturate every fiber of my being, my, my work life, my social life, my spiritual life, my physical life, my emotional life, all of those areas of my life, and I completely give them to Him, then He directs all of my life. I've got to make decisions about my morality and how I live my life sexually, physically, emotionally. It's in the Word of God. I'll make decisions based on that when I'm connected to God. And I'll make the right decisions. Augustine said that virtue and wisdom are defined by a well-ordered heart. Which comes back to what I said before, that wisdom's not about intellect or good decisions. It's about the mind, the spirit, and the soul of a person so connected to God that it lives itself out in every area of life, then we will be able to do as Philippians 1 says. You'll be able to discern what is best. You'll be able to choose well and choose wisely and make right decisions. That's wisdom. This morning I want to deal with just the last question that I said to you last Sunday morning. We'd deal with what it is and how we get it, and that is how do I get it? Look at what the text says. How do you get wisdom? You ask. You ask. Notice that James makes an assumption here. You know what it is? That we are asking. That we are praying. That we're spending time with God. Now, I don't assume that all of us do that on a regular basis. We're all at different levels. I'm not here to evaluate your prayer life. We measure prayer life by time. And so I don't feel spiritual as somebody else maybe because they pray from 4 to 5 and I only pray from noon to 12.30. Or, or I pray for five minutes in the morning and five minutes, whatever that may be. We sometimes measure spirituality by time increments. 
measure it a lot by what I do or what I don't do, and that's not defined in Scripture in some ways, but it's about a relationship with God which will then determine what I do and what I don't do. But we measure it so often in time constraints or time limits. But sometimes if I were to honestly ask you how much time do you spend in prayer, most of us would hang our heads. Again, it's not about increments of time, but it is about knowing that whatever I wrestle with, whatever I struggle with, I come to Him and ask. I spend some time with God, and it's way more than now I lay me down to sleep. For God is good, God is great, I'm glad we have this food today. But it's really being able to know that when I struggle with life, I spend some time asking God. I, I, I'm, I pray before every meal. Not everybody does, no requirements per se, I just meet, personally I do. Never forget, Jim Taylor and I were over for lunch one day at China Buffet, or China Dynasty, which everyone's at the mall, and we, we both just happened to always pray before we eat together, and I had a, a, a lady walk over to us, I was intrigued by it, didn't, I was wanting, she wants salt, pepper, what she want? And she said, can I make an observation? I said, yeah, I thought maybe my clothes were wrong or something. She said, I've never seen men pray in public. And I was just astounded by that. And she said, I just wanted you to know I thought that was great. It wasn't because of us. It's just because, obviously, in her context, she saw it as so rare. I'm not talking about praying just at every meal. Spending time with God, getting so connected with Him, and prayer is the best way to do that. Now, now the text says this. You want wisdom? Ask. Sounds simple, right? The problem is not all people that I know that seem to be lacking wisdom are asking for it. it certainly doesn't look like they do. Because a lot of people think they already have the right answers. Romans one twenty one said, although they claim to be wise, they don't act like it. They act more like fools. First step in asking for wisdom is admitting that you don't have it. You see, the key to receiving wisdom is humility. To honestly admit that you don't have all the answers and that God does and that you come to Him and you humbly ask. And to be honest with you, that posture is necessary for all of life and for the rest of your life. That I come to Him and I humbly ask. Solomon, that I mentioned last Sunday morning in 1 Kings chapter 3. Remember the story? God came to him in a dream and said, What would you want me to do for you? He said, I'm I'm, I'm a young man and incredibly responsible for his position, would you give me wisdom? And so God does. You know what's really sad about Solomon's life? Somewhere along the way, he got so arrogant that he thought he could do it on his own. And he ended up abandoning that posture of humility later in life, and it cost him almost everything. The way to receive wisdom is to humbly ask for it. And even more than asking for it from just anybody, going to somebody and say, would you help me make a decision, which is okay. You ought to seek godly counsel. But it's more than just asking anybody for wisdom. It is asking whom? God. God, what do you want me to do? Where where are you taking me through this journey? What am I to learn through this difficult circumstance? How do I handle this decision? What choice do I make in regards to my career? It's not about just making an economic choice. What choice do you want me to make? Where will I make the most difference, God? This day is a gift from you. You've given me 18 hours of it. I want to use it well. So you get up in the morning and you say, God, help me to be open today to what you want to say. 
driving to work, seeing the majesty of God everywhere. It's always connected to God. It's recognizing that He is my ultimate source for everything. And I come to Him and I ask, recognize that He really is the ultimate source for all of life. And James says, when you do, do it without doubting. Doesn't mean you don't have questions. I got a lot of questions. It means without disputing. It means without arguing who really is the real source of life and answers. There's a lot of people that depend on their own abilities, their own ingenuity to get through life and deal with life, especially whom? Men. We're, 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 that's how we're wired sometimes. And we, we, we are supposed to handle it. We're the ones who fix it. We're the ones who figure it out. We don't need directions. Not just simply we don't stop and ask for directions. I don't need direction. When all else fails, then I'll get the direction. When I have too many parts left over and it still doesn't work, then I do what? Then I read the directions. We're like that. Now again, I had somebody in my small group. I love my small group. One of the, one of the girls said to me the other, the other night we were together, my little boy leaned over to me during your sermon last Sunday morning and says, why does Pastor Denny think men are so dumb? <laughs> and and I, I, I humbly apologize for that. I realized I was hard on us last Sunday morning. I got a lot of emails from a lot of guys asking me the same question. Why do you think we're so dumb? Uh, which, by the way, dumb is D-U-M-B. Not just... D- <laughs> no, kidding. Kidding. I got no emails. And I, so I don't mean to insinuate that. And I just... I want to pick on me because too often men pick on women. And so I, I think we ought to be picked on every once in a while. I just know I struggle a lot with making, you know, getting through life. But we are, we are pretty independent. If you've ever done a survey, if you've ever walked around churches enough, especially if you've been in ministry long enough, you'll know that by nature women come to Christ before men. On a much higher level and a much more rapid pace. You know why? Because we have a hard time admitting that we need Christ. This independent figure it all out for ourselves tendency has a tendency to keep us from fully and completely trusting in God. Maybe it's the way you were raised, it's maybe the way your dad was, whatever that may be, but there's something inside of us that fixing, independent, I can do it myself, I can get through life, I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. It's the way I've been raised, it's the way my daddy raised me, it's the way his daddy raised him. All of those things I get, believe me, I get, it's exactly how I was raised. But it many times has a tendency to keep us from fully recognize our absolute, complete dependency on Christ for life and everything that goes with it. There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. You know that. And there's a fine line between arrogance and foolishness. And if you can't decide, if I can't decide that God is the real source of life and the answers to life and I can't come humbly and ask, then you'll end up wrestling with that all your life. And James says you'll be unstable in all of your ways. Wisdom comes to us through the door of humility. And without humility, you'll never really admit your need for help, wisdom, or even God. Humility is not a sign of weakness, but an honest admission that I don't have all the answers and that I need to come to the one who does. And I know it's God. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is under attack. David is a warrior. He's strong, he's confident, he's independent. He's been being a warrior for a long period of time. 
in the middle of this other attack that comes at him, you find him in that particular section of Scripture going to God and saying, what do I do? What do you want me to do? And he asks. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusted himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. You should be able to trust your own instincts, and, 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 and certainly David could have. The issue is when you trust in yourself alone and your abilities. David comes to God and said, What do you want me to do? Should I attack them or not? And God says yes. And then in verse 3, comes back to God again and says, I, I want to know for sure that's what you want me to do which is a healthy desire to be absolutely sure of what we've heard from God. There are so many people that sometimes have misused, I heard from God, or God told me to do this, or God told me to do that. I, I, I'm one that really does want to make sure that I really have heard from God. And David wants to do that. He recognizes that his desperate need of the wisdom that he has, in, or the circumstances that he has in front of him, demand that I come to God and say, what do you want me to do? Wisdom says, I will ask. Wisdom prays, I will seek God's face. Foolishness says, I can do it myself. To be honest with you, that means you'll be on your own the rest of your life. Debbie's story a couple of weeks ago intrigued me. I've not heard it in all of its capacity. But one of the things that stood out to me based on this section of Scripture is that when Debbie made this statement, she said, my life with God was really hard. My life without God was awful. It was empty. It was self-destructive. Humility says, God, I cannot live without you. You're my source for life. You're my source for everything. James said, if you ask God, you need to come believing that he really has all the answers and that he is the one that you will follow. And you will follow him and him alone. Either... That, or you will trust God completely for the source of your life, wisdom, and direction, or you'll be on your own. And if you can't decide that God really is the source of life, wisdom, and direction, you'll constantly vacillate between the two and end up hollow and empty and alone. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, as he began to sit down on that sermon, had just displayed some of the most amazing power that anyone had ever seen up to that time. And then he said this to the disciples, in a sense, I know what you just saw was amazing, but what you need to know is that all the power that is available to us does not come through the proud or to the proud or the mighty, but it comes to those who admit they need God and God alone and God completely. And so he begins... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Who gets wisdom? Those who admit they need it. And those who realize without Him, they have absolutely no hope. But with Him, they will get through everything. To me, communion is one of the most powerful and one of the most profound things we do as believers in Christ. It allows us to hold in our hands two simple elements that represent the life of God, that represent the ultimate sacrifice poured out on the cross 
where Jesus, recognizing that we're sinners falling from God's amazing grace, have no way to get there except His amazing grace, deserving to die for our sins. We've all fallen short of what God expects. He took our place. He died on a cross so that we could have life and have it forever. And every time we hold these elements in our hands, simple bread and a simple small cup of grape juice, they are reminders of this unbelievable love that God has for us in pouring himself out on the cross. They also stand as reminders of where I get life. See, the world's going to tell you that you get life from a lot of stuff. You can get life from things. You can get life from your job. You can get life from your possessions. You can get life from your sexual activity. You get life from a lot of things. I just need you to decide where really, honestly, are you going to get life from? All of that other stuff or from God and God alone. And when you make that decision, you will find out that he'll fill in the blanks for everything else. But it starts with that ultimate decision that I recognize that I can't continue to play this game of who's in charge of my life and when I need him and when I don't. When I'm coming to the tough times or tough decisions, then I'll ask him. Otherwise, I'm just going to float through life and figure it out on my own. It comes to that point in life where I decide that I'm going to fully commit myself to Christ or not. One way or the other, you've got to decide. You can't play the game. I can't play the game. A lot of people do. Sitting in pews just like ours every single Sunday. Who worship God on Sunday, love Him in, in a worship setting, but then do their own thing throughout the week and never tip their hat to Him again until Sunday morning when they do it. You have to decide. I've got to decide. Where do I get life? Is it from God? Or am I trying to get through life on my own? During communion this morning, I'd love for you to honestly answer that question to the depth of your being. And maybe one of you in here this morning, maybe a dozen of you have to say, God, I have got to quit playing this game. I've got to come to the point of saying, you're really everything to me. And you really are life. You're really where I get answers. And you're going to direct every area of my life, not just my Sunday life, but my work life, my body life, what I do, my morality, my business, how I handle money. Some of you can easily admit that because you're not doing too well on your own. But others of you think you're okay. I just need you to know. I'm just asking you to decide. You're going to see in a couple of weeks the opposite of this decision is death. It's not just spiritual death. It is. But it's death in this life. God said, I've come to give you life. But it comes only one way. Through me. So you decide. I've got to decide. Is he in charge of every area of my life or not? Can't dabble between the two. Can't dangle over the edge trying to decide. Is he in charge of your life? Is he in charge of all areas of my life or not? Communion stores are going to come. We're going to wait on you. As always, we just simply, both the bread and the cup are in the same tray. Wait till everyone is served and I'll lead you together. Help the one next to you serve it and they will continue to serve until they're done. I'm going to take one up and serve the worship team. But just allow some time with God this morning. In your time together with Him, gentlemen, come right up. Start taking the trays. They will, these guys will lead you in that and start serving. Spend some time with God. Spend some time honestly assessing where you're at with Him in regards to who's in charge of your life, who's directing your steps, who's over your worship life, 
your spiritual life, your physical life, your emotional life, your work life, financial life. Who's in charge? Make that decision this morning.
pray. Father, some of us sitting here in the room this morning, as we look back for a few minutes over our life, realize we made some really bad decisions. We're paying a price. We were independent, doing our own thing, and it cost us a lot. Others of us in here this morning who recognized a long time ago that you are really life, and you're the answer to life, and we committed ourselves to you. And there are some in here this morning who just aren't quite sure. Pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that we will recognize that you really are life. Not only do you have the answers to life, you are life. And it comes from no one else or nothing else but you and you alone. These elements in our hands here this morning remind us of that life that was given for us so that we could have salvation, forgiveness, and grace. Not only just eternal life, but to live this life to the fullest. And so as we partake of it this morning, may we acknowledge before you that we really are committed to you and want to follow you with every fiber of our being because you really are the answer to life. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Take the bread and then the cup. In front of you somewhere except for you in the front seat is a holder by the Bible or the book. Please place it in there. The end of Judges, or end of Joshua. Joshua made a public declaration in front of everyone. He was the leader of the nation of Israel through some of the most difficult times they faced. Stood up in front of them and said, I just want you to know, you can vacillate between the two. You can decide on your own. One of the things about God is He gives us free will. If you want to run your own life, go ahead. You'll pay a price, but go ahead. But Joshua stood up in front of everyone and said, you do what you want to do. You take a ballot, you take a poll, whatever you want. Me and my house, we're following God. And we're going to follow Him forever. Ryan's going to lead us in a closing psalm this morning called The Stand. I trust that's the stand that you have made and are declaring this morning in your allegiance to Christ that you are committed to Him. And if you are, He will so saturate your life that He will direct every step and fiber of your life and every decision you have to make. If you're not sure, I'd love to pray with you this morning so that you can be. Friend?